I hope everybody's warming up a little bit. Uh, I think the heating's working now. Um, our boiler, um, like all conditioned things, is impermanent. And uh, the uh, boiler maintenance man tells us that it's uh, getting near the end of its life, which is very inconvenient right now. This is not a good time to be thinking about replacing our boiler. So uh, we're just going to put up with a, a slightly dodgy boiler for a while, perhaps for all the winter. So please excuse us if you come along on Sunday night. Uh, the room's not as warm as you're used to. Maybe you want to bring a blanket along. Okay. So recently I found I've been thinking quite a lot about this uh, business of goodness. As in the beginning of the meditation, half an hour ago, or 45 minutes ago, I was encouraging us all to recollect, to bring to mind uh, the goodness that we're surrounded by, the goodness of our lives, the good motivation that encourages us to do something like this, to be restrained, to look inwards, to go against habitual tendencies. The good energy that's generated every time we inhibit being judgmental or critical or unkind to ourselves. The shared goodness of, of a group of people like this. And the collective goodness of the, the country that we live in. There is so much that's so good around us. And, and as I was pointing out, if we lose appreciation of this, then we lose a potential strength in practice. We can become overly focused on uh, the things that we're deficient in. And we've all got plenty of deficiencies and limitations. And, and of course, as soon as we turn our attention inwards, we become acutely aware of them, which is fine. But we don't want to lose perspective, because if we lose perspective, then we overemphasize. And we think our lack of concentration is of world-shattering importance. Well, what about the fact that we haven't killed anybody recently? You know, or nicked anything? Or, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of nicking and killing and lying and cheating and offensive behavior going on all around the place. You know, probably most of us haven't been indulging in too much of that lately, and, and that's a good thing. That's a very good thing for us individually and uh, for the human family. 
So our lack of concentration is not of world-shattering importance. Uh, it's not irrelevant, but we need to uh, keep it in perspective. Uh, even the mistakes that we make in our life. We sit in the meditation and then we start remembering the, the things that we, we did that weren't absolutely, utterly impeccable. And, and uh, we can lose perspective. Uh, the fact that we've, we've spent years trying to be decent, kind of generous, moral people, uh, flies out the window. And we just focus on the one little mistake we made. Well, that can happen if we don't have a, a conscious appreciation of the goodness. Uh, the goodness of our effort and the goodness of, that we've inherited, like the goodness of having good parents. I find it very easy to uh, re- recollect all the things that my parents did wrong. In fact, I can spend hours talking about it. Some people write books about it, all the things their parents did wrong. But what about all the things my parents did right? (laughs) When I look back, I think I'm so fortunate, the the parents I had. So so when I do think about how fortunate I am, well, then I feel genuinely grateful. And then we have the evidence of reflecting on goodness. Well, gratitude arises. the, The gratitude. Gratitude is not just an interesting concept. Gratitude is an energetic reality. What, what does the whole body-mind feel like when there's gratitude? Or when we feel the freedom from remorse. Last Sunday, uh, there was a question about the ten paramitas. And then when I went to Leeds recently, uh, somebody asked me the question, uh, why should we be good? And so one of the things I spoke about, I went back to the ten parameters again and spoke some more about them. And 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 one of them, one of the uh, most obvious things, is what the Buddha said about uh, living by the moral precepts. That what happens when we don't keep the precepts? If we distract ourselves, we get very, very busy, uh, then maybe we don't notice what happens. But if we have a little quietness or we're alone and then we remember our compromising the precepts, well, what, what is the experience? What is the body-mind experience? It's remorse, and that's one word for it. That's the approximation. That's the, that's the word we have that approximates the experience. <laughs> And the experience is basically a, a very unpleasant sense of limitation. There's a, a contraction of the heart. The heart is not expanded, it's not beautiful, it's not free, it's not bright, it's not radiant when we reflect on having broken our precepts. And so that's, that's the consequence of uh, compromising goodness. What... Uh, and the Pali word is akusala. And the, the Pali word for goodness is kusala. Uh, you know, the, uh, those of you who've been down there recently will see that we've named the retreat house Kusala House, or Kusala Retreat House, the full name. Kusala, which means goodness, or really a probably better word is wholesomeness. Because in English we use the word goodness, it is the connotation of the opposite of badness, and, and then there's the... the uh, 
taint of goodness, which is where there's this attachment to goodness and the perception that I am good, and then our goodness starts to smell not so pleasant. Um, and so there's, I think, a lot of advantage in the Buddhist word of wholesomeness or skillfulness. So if we, and the reason I called uh, our retreat house Kusula House was because I'd like people to come here and to go into that building, to sit in there, to sleep in there, to communicate with each other in there, and feel that they're surrounded by goodness. The reality is we are surrounded by goodness, but we forget it. So I'd like to remind people how much goodness we're surrounded by. And not because uh, goodness is the point of practice. In some religions, this is the case. In some systems of teaching, uh, the whole point of the effort that is being made is to become more good, to take sides with goodness and to try and get rid of evil or that which is bad. And the Buddhist way of teaching, uh, that's not the case. Goodness goodness is like the light that conquers darkness. If there's darkness, it doesn't matter how long it's been dark, the only thing that's going to overcome the power of darkness is light. And when there's light, that doesn't mean to say that everything's wonderful, it just means that we can see what's going on. We're not going to trip over things. When there's darkness, we're moving around the darkness and we bang into things, we hurt ourselves and so on. But when there's some light, then we stop banging into things. We can see where we're going, we can see how to go where we want to go when there's light. And so that's, that's how goodness works in practice. But we don't even attach to the goodness. If we do attach to the goodness, well, that's, that's another experience that we can investigate in our practice. Yeah. The feeling of I am good. Is that a liberated feeling? If there's a perception feeling of I am good, well then there's those who are not good. Uh, There's people who don't fit into our model, people we don't feel at one with. If we're good, we don't feel at one with those who are not good. And in any case, if we are attached to the perception, the feeling of I am good, there's almost certainly, or there will be, parts of ourselves that we're afraid of seeing, parts that uh, are not good, then we've got an enemy that we have to deal with. We feel divided. We take sides with the bits that we experience as good against the bits that we perceive, feel are not good. So taking sides, even for goodness, is not the Buddhist teaching. Not taking sides at all is the point. And so cultivating goodness is not the point of practice. It's relevant, but it's not the point. And the point of practice is to 
be free from any tendency to contract our awareness around any condition. And in encouragement of this, the Buddha taught about the goodness of cultivating integrity, renunciation, determination, loving-kindness, energy, honesty, equanimity, wisdom, these virtues that we went over last week, ten parameters. But we don't want to get stuck on the good conditions you know, like when, when the Buddha taught the, the wisdom faculty, when he talked about wisdom, he encouraged us to contemplate that everything's impermanent, everything's unsatisfactory, everything's not self. These are not concepts, of course, as we hopefully all realize, but these are pointers that encourage the cultivation of an awareness that doesn't even cling to goodness. It doesn't cling to anything. The idea that I am good is an idea. So if we contemplate these teachings, we take the wisdom teachings seriously and look into them, apply them to ourselves, not, not just applying them to other people, or the outer world. We can do that, but essentially what we're encouraged to do is to apply it to the inner world until we experience this letting go. And we can experience it in small moments, we can experience it in big moments. We might even experience it in a way whereby we catch a glimpse of the possibility of really letting go. And we, we, we see what it's, what it's like, what the, we can feel what it's like to not be contracted, to not be attached. That can happen maybe for a few moments. Or, obviously for enlightened beings, this is, this is their experience all the time. All tendencies to contract, to grasp, to anything are completely finished. But even for somebody who has a glimpse or a moment or two of that sort of letting go, there's a changed relationship. There's a different way of relating to practice. And then there's an understanding of what the Buddha said about not even attaching to goodness. It's understandable that people do attach to goodness and take a position against badness because that feels better than being attached to badness. It does feel better. But if we do practice in a way whereby we really start to let go and then we can experience for ourselves what it's like to not be clinging even to goodness... There's nothing that's worth clinging to. And so then we come back to practice. And, and it might be everyday practice. It might be while we're in meditation, uh, more easy to let go like this, to let go of 
everything to let go of goodness. But when it comes to living daily life, it's often more of a challenge. Dealing with the stimulus of the senses. And it may not even be a meditation that existence conspires to undo us, untangle the knot of, of contraction and unawareness enough for us to see in a new way. It may be just in some everyday situation that <clears throat> such an opening takes place. But we're still, wherever it is and whenever it is and however it is it happens, we're still faced with the task of, of integrating that into all of our being. To living that. And this is, it's not a rare thing that people have moments of opening and then getting very confused afterwards. Because if we don't understand properly, then it can look like, it can look like that after such moments we're even worse off. But on some level, we know it's not the case. From that point onwards, cultivating goodness is not something that we're doing as an end in itself. But cultivating goodness is something we see that encourages or enables this integration, this living out of something that we have discovered for ourselves to be really worthwhile. And we can find this out by trial and error. And when we do things that are not good, the experience is one of limitation. It hurts. You were selfish or, or unkind. From a place of unawareness, we can feel like selfishness actually is okay. From a place of unawareness, we can feel that being unkind is okay. Yeah. Unkind to something else, or unkind to ourselves. From a place of unawareness, we can feel that being unkind to ourselves, well, that's my business, I can do that if I want to. But from a place of awareness, when we're really present with our experience, with some understanding, with some clarity, then we can feel the experience. It's simply inappropriate to be unkind to any being because unkindness we experience in terms of a reality rather than in terms of an idea. The reality of unkindness, what is it? What is the reality of unkindness? What is actually taking place when we're unkind? If we feel it, if we feel it in the whole body and mind, you feel unkindness as, as this closing down, this closing down inwardly. Or more dramatically than unkindness, uh, anger. 
the the opinions that we have about anger are one thing. You know, the opinions we have are based on maybe some good ideas, yeah. or maybe somebody else's good ideas. But the opinions we have of anger are just they're just like that. They're just ideas. They're not the reality of anger. The ideas we have of anger, just like the ideas we have about breakfast, the reality of breakfast is a really, for me, is a a very beautiful experience. I love breakfast. In fact, I can't wait for (laughs) can't wait for breakfast. Simon Aaron Yanamoli here makes the ultimate breakfast. Five organic grains soaked overnight in filtered water. He gets up at four o'clock in the morning. Is that right? Four thirty. I'm sorry. Drains off that water, puts in fresh filtered water with sea salt, and then cooks this stuff very slowly, lovingly. He imbues it with huge amount of loving kindness every morning. Is that true? Oh, right, okay, so sometimes that ingredient's missing. But I think it's often there. And he gently cooks this, lovingly cooks this, these grains for two hours. And then he blends them and puts in organic tahini with organic palm sugar and organic ground sunflower seeds. And I don't know what else goes in there, but you get the picture. And then we have it with fresh homemade yogurt every morning. Now, I've described to you something that you have a concept of, but that concept is nothing compared to the experience of eating breakfast. Really. <laughs> you want to be here for breakfast. Now, anyway, hopefully you get the picture. The concept we have, the ideas we have of goodness... The ideas we have of badness, they're nothing. They're irrelevant. Well, not totally irrelevant, but they're almost insignificant compared to the reality. The reality of goodness, freedom from remorse, is a conducive experience to letting go of the contraction of selfishness, to seeing through the forces of ignorance. The reality of anger, if we can experience the reality of anger from a place of awareness, not our opinions about how I should or shouldn't be angry. That's stuff for, you know, 40 or 50 years ago. That's, we were taught that. That's, that's, that's way back. The reality of anger, what does it feel like? Yeah. That contraction. We don't want to have opinions about whether we should or shouldn't be angry. That's, that's so initial. That's such an initial way of relating to our lack of virtue, our lack of concentration, our lack of wisdom, our lack of equanimity, all of these things. It's so inadequate to relate to them with opinions and ideas. If we can relate to them with awareness, then the awareness teaches us, the reality teaches us, the Dhamma teaches us. When we say, I go for refuge to the Dhamma, that's what we're saying, on one level, it might be saying, well, I think the Buddha's teachings are a very good idea and much better than any other idea, and so I align myself with these teachings. That's, that's 
at one stage it might mean that. But in terms of moment-to-moment practice, what it means is that I'm so interested in the reality of liberation that I'm not even going to have an opinion about the fact that I'm angry or selfish. I'm just going to look at that reality. I'm going to feel that reality. I'm going to feel, stay with it as long as it takes to feel the reality I'm experiencing of whatever it is. Having just made a mistake and feeling guilty. Well, if it's guilt, well, there's, you know, there's a little kind of serious, complex, knotted pattern of conditioning going on there that needs to be untangled first before you get back to the raw condition of feeling ashamed. Feeling ashamed in a wholesome way of having done something wrong is an organismic message that we're getting from reality that says, well, that wasn't an appropriate thing we just did. And if we're interested in reality, well, we're willing to take that. We're willing to take that. We take the feeling of feeling ashamed or feeling limited or feeling afraid and to stay with it as long as it takes until it's released. From a place of unawareness, we just come from the conditioned personality. I like to think of myself as a good person, so now I'm feeling... I'm feeling this resentment to somebody, so I've got to get rid of this resentment, so I'll do anything to get rid of it, and maybe I'll just go and watch the BBC News on the internet or something so that I don't feel this resentment for something that somebody just said to me. Or I'll go and eat something, I'll cook something, or go to the fridge and get a nice tub of yogurt or something. Which, yeah, whatever. We distract ourselves with sense treats. Now, we can do that. And if we're committed to unawareness, that's what we tend to do. But if we're committed to reality, I go for refuge to the Dhamma, if we say that and we really mean it, well then, it's not that we like the feeling of sadness or the feeling of remorse or whatever is happening, but there's a willingness. There's a willingness and there's a kindness. You know, we're not... We're not making ourselves endure our suffering because we think it's a good idea. If it's with, if it's with balanced awareness, genuine awareness, then there's, a, there's also a kindness, a compassion associated with that willingness. As the Buddha gave the image for talking about compassion, like a mother with her only child when the, when the child is suffering. You know, parents, a lot of your parents and, and um, know probably better than I do what it's like when, when you know your kid's got to go through something and uh, it's not fun. They're not having a good time. And as a parent, you're not having a good time watching them, but you're willing to let them suffer with compassion, with kindness, because there's an understanding there that they need to go through this. And so this is also the understanding in our practice that suffering is something that we need to go through before letting go happens. And so this being able and being willing to go through suffering 
is made much easier if we're aware of a storehouse of goodness. So once again, though, to say that goodness is not the point. Goodness is an important element. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. Mm-hmm.